How's it going, everybody? My name is Christian Wagner, and I am the Militant Thomist. So today we're going to be going over the absolute hidden gem when it comes to St. Thomas's works. That is his biblical commentaries, those things for which he hoped to be known by. Wasn't his Summa, wasn't his Summa Contra Gentiles, wasn't his quote lipid questions, wasn't his disputed questions, wasn't uh, his commentary in the sentences. None of those things did Thomas think he was going to be known for. St. Thomas wanted to be known for his biblical commentaries. But before we get into that, speaking of biblical commentaries, very important when it comes to those non-Greek speakers among us, native Greek speakers, that is, is to know Greek. And I know you out there, yes, I'm pointing at you. If you've taken seminary classes, I'm looking right into your soul right now. If you've taken seminary classes, I know you are not as good in Greek as you should be. That is true. You have spent so much money. You've spent so much time. You've spent so much energy. And what what do you know? What do you really know? Wow, you know your declensions. Good on you. You know declensions. Great. Useless. Well, useless on its own. If you cannot read the sacred page in its original language, and you spent all that time and money, and you want to, what is stopping you? from going on to fluentgreeknt.com, signing up, using the code militant, getting 20% off, and actually learning Greek through the natural method. Yes, I'm looking into your soul right now. You need to do that. I am imploring you, exhorting you, even some may say begging you right now to do that. Very important. Wonderful sponsor of the show. So go to fluentgreeknt.com, code militant, and you can even get a free trial. So there you go. Also, remember the things about Patreon. You, I mean, you've been watching this series if you're watching this. If you haven't been watching the other episodes, what are you doing? Go back to the first one. Be like everybody else. Go through all the other work. And uh, so you know about Patreon. You know about ChristianBWagner.com slash shop. You want a based mug. You want to be part of the team. So do all that and and more subscribe, all that stuff. Can't think of anything else. So I'm going to get right into this. Very excited because you know, around here, I've made this comment about a quadrillion times, but there is more to St. Thomas than the Summa. That is something that you need to understand that it's not just the Summa. It's not just going uh, as good as it may be. And I agree. Probably his best work. Summa, amazing, wonderful, great, glorious, beautiful. Absolute simplicity and depth of doctrine is mind-blowing. This man must have been talking with angels to be able to write the freaking Summa. That, that, I, I am without words to describe. Although I just used a lot of words, I am without words to adequately describe how amazing the Summa is. Wonderful. But... And there's a huge butt here. Massive butt. Just the butt tend all butts. But you need to be reading the other works of St. Thomas. Those are very important. And if you're very much a beginner, you're going to be reading other works by St. Thomas. There's going to be introductory works by St. Thomas that I'll go over later. And then eventually... I'm thinking of uh, starting something a bit more formal 
once I am able to uh, go part-time at my job, which, hint, hint, if you become a patron, you can help facilitate that process. And just going over um, in a good amount of detail and explanatory power those basic works from St. Thomas to give people a kind of uh, introduction to Thomistic thought to be able to read the Summa yourself. Because once you read those smaller works, you're good. You're good. You're good. But the most important of these other works that you need to be reading, besides all of the others I've went over, no matter how important they are, is his biblical commentaries. Oh my goodness. His biblical commentaries are spectacular. Amazing, glorious, angelic, some may even say. The the common biblical commentaries of the church, others may say. It is said that in writing his commentary on Isaiah, that he was having trouble understanding a passage. So he fasted, prayed, uh, sat in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament. And you know what happened? Peter and Paul showed up and just told him the correct interpretation of it. Like this man, crazy, crazy amazing when it comes to being a biblical commentator. And that is actually what he saw himself as, a magister sacra pagina a master of the sacred page. He saw himself first and foremost as a biblical commentator. That is what you need to get drilled in your head. St. Thomas is a biblical theologian, first and foremost. All of the philosophy that he does, while certainly rich, all of even the scholastic theology that he does, it is all in service and flowing from his biblical commentaries. And many don't know that of St. Thomas. There are many such cases of people that don't know that and haven't even heard that St. Thomas commented on Scripture, and that saddens me. It breaks my heart, and you know what? It probably breaks St. Thomas's heart, too, if he could have that, because he can't, because he's in the beatific vision, because the church has declared him as a saint, so he's there. But it would sadden him if he was here to find out that all these people are reading his Summa, but they aren't reading his commentary on the Gospel of John. He would say, what are you guys doing? You should be reading my gospel, my commentary on the Gospel of John. So very incredibly important. So great. So amazing. So important. But that is just my, my pontificating right there. So what you have to understand about the way in which Holy Mother Church raises her theologians to comment on Scripture is something very much different than what you'll get in the Academy. The Academy raises her scholars to butcher the text of Scripture. That's what she does. You'll you let's say you're going to crack open one of the most some of the most popular commentaries on Romans. You're like, great, I'm finally going to be able to understand Saint Paul and what he was saying in Romans. This is this is so great. I'm going to be able to become a master of the sacred page, just like Saint Thomas. And you go and pick up the whatever biblical commentary your New Testament professor or whoever is going to recommend to you, which probably isn't St. Thomas. You crack it open and read, and you're like, wow, this is really interesting. You're giving me all of these historical background points and etymological roots and stuff like that. Great. Thank you. Wonderful. So what does the text actually say? What is the theology behind it? What What is this? Because they 
They're grammarians, they're historians, but they are not theologians. They never get past the letter to the Spirit. And this is what St. Thomas is an absolute master of, getting beyond the letter and getting to the Spirit, getting beyond mere words and getting to the things signified by the words. That is what St. Thomas is amazing at. I will, I will guarantee if you're reading St. Thomas's commentary on Scripture, rather than walking away by saying, wow, those are some interesting facts about etymological roots and historical backgrounds and cultural context and blah, 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 blah. You're not going to be saying that. You're going to be saying, wow, that is what sacred scripture means. Wow, this is this is uh, the doctrine of the church. Wow, this is very cool. Because that's what St. Thomas does. Rather than giving you mere letters, he explains you the things in relation to God. He explains things in relation to each other. That, that's what he's doing. And as a masterful rhetorician in a deep uh, using philosophy as the handmaiden of theology, being a reading scripture philosophically, metaphysically, logically, he is able to show you the exact argument that's being presented. He's able to show you the things that are being presented. It's, it's really a beautiful thing when you read his commentaries. So I'm going to get into the, the actual content. So there's three genera. Of, of commentaries that he has, and we'll go over the, the golden chain a bit later. And then also the commentaries on Aristotle is going to be a bit different. So there's the Riggins Montes and the Hickes Liber. Those are both um, not the same. They're kind of just expositions and reflections. One's on scripture, and the Riggins Montes is a reflection on a certain text of scripture. So these aren't really commentaries, properly speaking. So those are kind of a bit different. So when it comes to his normal commentaries, though, he has them on the Psalms, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Isaiah, Job, Matthew, John, Romans, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy, Titus, Philemon, and Hebrews. So he doesn't cover the whole Bible, but he covers a good portion. So I'm going to get a section I'm comfortable with that I've read a lot. So there you go. So this is an example in his Galatians commentary, chapter four, lecture seven. These are broken into lectures. And the way that St. Thomas does things is he does things uh, by understanding not only the little individual pieces of propositions, which are found in the text, but he understands them in their whole context of the entire epistle. So you see St. Thomas's commentary is really sensitive to the argument that's being made in the entire epistle. But what he does at the beginning of commenting on a certain text, so in Lecture 7, it's Galatians 4, 21 to 23. So he's going to connect it to the last one. So above, the apostles showed the preeminence of grace by human example. Here, he proves it on the authority of Scripture. So you see the amazing connection that's being made is when it, when it comes to the preeminence of grace, he recognizes that all of these different lectures are connecting when it comes to the preeminence of grace. Really, the whole epistle is connecting when it comes to the preeminence of grace. And he's showing how St. Paul is, is arguing for the preeminence of grace. First, when it comes to last section, the human example, here on the authority of Scripture. 
And then what he does here is St. Thomas, and this is what he does all the time, is he lays out the, um, how do I put it? He lays out the ordering of the section. So you see here, first, he proposes a fact. Second, he expounds its mystery. Third, he concludes his proposition. So he's splitting the text up. And this uh, this practice of making divisions of the text is going to be something which is very important with uh, medieval biblical commentary, is they always like to make this divisions. And it's really helpful because you can make like a little uh, outline of the whole epistle based just on these divisions. So you can understand how all the pieces fit into the whole. And then he's going to further sub-distinguish it even more. So as to the first, he does two things. So proposing a fact, he elicits their attention. Second, he sets forth his intention. And then what he's going to go do is he's going to go phrase by phrase in explaining. And then also what he's going to do is he's going to draw from the entirety of sacred scripture. This man was a absolute freaking genius he had all of, basically all of sacred i think i think the account is that he had all of sacred scripture memorized and he's just drawing from this mass wealth of, of memorization and applying all of these texts to to this text because what you'll get in in modern commentators modern commentators what are they concerned by what did paul think that's what he's concerned by so modern commentator would go to this and see, okay, St. Thomas, uh, when he's commenting on, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, have you not read the law? Um, and then St. Then Thomas goes back to Job 6.29, answer, I beseech you without contention, and speaking that which is just, answer me. And they're going to they're going to say, what the heck, is, what, what is St. Thomas doing here again? He's bringing to bear other texts on this one. That's super weird. Paul obviously didn't have this in mind when he was when he was writing this text. What what the heck? That is that is just weird. St. Thomas, what are you doing? Are you just proof texting? Like what what is going on here? Well, the reason that St. Thomas is doing this is because St. Thomas is goes beyond the letter. He's not a mere master of words like you are, modern commentators. St. Thomas is a master of theology, of the divine things. So he does he does not give he, he does not give a, a darn. He does not give a darn when it comes to whether St. Paul had these texts in mind. He could not possibly care less. He no care in his mind whether St. Paul had these in his mind. But what he does care is that is about the things signified by the words. So when it comes to this rhetorical move of tell me you desire to be under the law, have you not read the law? So when it comes to this rhetorical move, St. Thomas is like, oh, yeah, I've seen this before. This happens. Answer, I beseech you without contention and speaking that which is just, answer me. And then also let your eyelids go before your steps. Yeah, yeah, these are truths which are signified in other texts of sacred scripture. So the things are interrelated. So that's what I'm kind of getting at by the connect by the level of things rather than just the level of mere words. So he doesn't care whether they share a common root word, etymology, whatever. He doesn't care whether the text was in the mind. He just cares whether the thing signified because he actually believes in the divine inspiration of Scripture. That's all he cares about, whether the things signified by the words are have some connection to each other. So he's like, oh, of course, Job 629 and Proverbs 425 have a connection to to um 
Galatians 4.21. Of course they have a connection because they're referring to the same thing. And since there's a connection in the things of reality, of course they're going to be connected. So this is just a completely uh, contrary way of of doing biblical exegesis than you're going to find in modern authors. They're going to be utterly dumbfounded by what's what's going on here with St. Thomas. And he's going to go um, verse by verse, uh, explaining it, making distinctions. Also, bringing to bear is uh, another important um, aspect of Catholic exegesis is going to be that it's dogmatic exegesis. So there's various articles of faith that he knows are true. He knows that those are going to be connected. There's various dogmatic and systematic truths which he's brought out in his theology. Since he is convinced, convinced of their uh, truthity, truth, truthful nature. Of course, he's going to apply these distinctions when he comes to reading scripture. I mean, it's of the order of truth. So if these things are being, uh, if these words are signifying truth, of course, they're going to have some sort of relation. So he's going to bring to bear uh, dogmatic categories. And what you'll get from the, uh, from the academy is that this is eisegesis or that this is, uh, this is being a uh, proof texty, or this is um, putting something into the text that doesn't belong there, or some garbage like that. But St. Thomas just understands how words work better than the people who just are merely on the level of words, ironically. So, yeah, that's then that's what you're going to get is just him commenting. And then also uh, he's going to use... Uh, Another aspect of Catholic exegesis right here is where he explains uh, allegory. He's going to have, and this is why I chose the section, because it does have this as an example. He's also going to, in here, have short explanations of certain ideas of theology that are present. So if this is covering, uh, for example, let's say there's a verse which covers predestination, he's going to spend a few paragraphs explaining the doctrine of predestination from the whole of Scripture. Well, why? Well, because Predestination is talked about in the verse, so it's very important understanding the verse is is predestination in the whole of Scripture. So, yes, I think that's about it when it comes to covering the importance of these things. Because it, it is a, you'll get something radically different, trust me. Once you start reading, once you start reading St. Thomas's, commentaries on scripture you'll never want to go back to the modern stuff the modern garbage um in saint thomas uh, i forgot to add this but he also goes with based off of what's called the gloss the glossa ordinaria which is the ordinary um it's kind of like think of the book of sentences but for the interpretation of scripture it's those um agreed upon interpretations or glosses on certain texts of scripture so saint thomas shows some uh, theological humility and he's always going to expound the text in multiple different senses. So he's like, okay, the gloss says that you have these three options. It could be option A, B, or C, and here's how it would be read in all three ways. So it just shows some humility that there are various ways in which this text can be read. So it's very balanced, very deep, uh, makes sense, very orderly. It's, there's just no reason not to read Thomas's commentaries. But that's about all I have, and I'm looking forward to seeing you guys again in about less than one week probably at the time of this leaving. Do penance for the kingdom of God is at hand. Lord.